There is a verse in scripture that says, where there's an abundance of words, sin is not far absent. In other words, the more you talk, the more likely you're liable to flub up. I'm a good illustration of that on several counts, but as I sat down in the pew this morning, there was a special gift waiting for me with an explanation of it. Uh, last Sunday night, those of you here, Danny Pierce, I call him Pearson, but Pierce is his name, uh, had given me this tie, and he'd been nagging me for a long time to wear it, and finally I was wearing something that matched it, and I went ahead and wore it last Sunday night, and I said, if, you know, if somebody give me a tie, I'll wear it. So somebody wrote me a note and said, I've been waiting to hear something like that. And I opened this bag, and it was a Chicago Cub tie. And it wasn't just once, it's plastered all over this tie, Chicago Cubs. And I knew then I'd made a major sin in my words. Uh, I don't know if repentance will clear that or, or if I have to wear it. I'm going to debate that in my own mind in the weeks to come. Uh, but I do, get to dis- I do get to choose the timing of when I wear those. So I've just got to be really careful. I feel like it was an Altum thing, a Ryan Altum thing. So uh, I'm, I should have known what somebody would do with that. I just should have thought about that a little better. We're in Matthew chapter 28, or about the resurrection. This could be called an Easter sermon, I suppose, but it's, it's a resurrection sermon. That's an every Sunday thing for us. It's something that we rejoice in and that passage was well read and we're going to look at it here in just a moment Matthew chapter 28 if you'll make your way there Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong they are weak but he is strong yes Jesus loves me yes Jesus loves me Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. I think I did hear Benton on that. He told me he was going to hear me this morning up in that corner. So if you heard an extra loud version of that, it was him back there. And I always love hearing the kids sing that. Matthew chapter 28. We're told in Galatians chapter 4 uh, that, that God was concerned about timing. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I've always wanted to get all on that, and that's the first I've ever seen him do that. Okay, so here's what God says. Galatians chapter 4, referring back to that, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son forth, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. What I want to say is that, that first phrase, in the fullness of time. And what that means is at just the right time. You know how certain things work just the right time? And if you do it another time, it doesn't work. God, at the right time, sent forth his son into the world. Fullness of time. 
Timing is everything for some things. And I, I often wonder about this. I often wonder about the wisdom of God in this because he brought Jesus to the earth in a very obscure time. If it were today, don't you know for sure we would have gotten some of this on tape somewhere? CNN, uh, it doesn't take them long. Friends, uh, Fox and Friends and all of them, all the, they would get there, they would, fly, they would fly there and they'd get their cameras out and they would get something of Jesus having risen from the dead. This wasn't the right time. The time of right now is not when God chose. He chose the perfect time. It was a time when it wouldn't have gotten around like this. Anybody remember, this is going to time me a little bit. Anybody remember, remember Geraldo Rivera's special about opening Al Capone's vault? Anybody remember that? It was for weeks they were saying, we're going to be there right on and we're going to do it right there. No one's seen it before. We're going to open it up and see what's in there. And you're thinking dead bodies and cars and money. There was nothing in that stupid thing. And we all got together and there's all these commercials we watched for two hours for nothing. It was the most frustrating experience on TV history, right? But he built that thing up. Could you imagine how big this should be? CNN and Fox and all them gathered where Jesus rose from the dead it would be more than the Super Bowl more than college championship more than the World Cup of soccer more than presidential debates you add all that stuff up because this was the most significant event in the history of the world and ever will be it divides time and half all that it's the smoking gun it's the missing link it's the only hope for the hopeless and yet it was made so obscure in the story the gospels were clear god was clear in the writing of the word this was an obscure event first of all no one witnessed the actual resurrection where jesus was made alive again the only ones that could have been there were god and the holy spirit jesus couldn't even have been there he was dead no one there was no one there to be able to say I saw the actual because nobody was expecting it what a weird thing second there's this tour of the tomb that was given. it was given to make everybody understand the tomb really was empty the greatest witness of the entire event but yet the people that were given the tour of the tomb were women now that's not all that shocking to you but in the first century Women weren't considered valuable testimony at all. The words of a woman weren't considered something that you would want to put on trial as a witness for you. Words of women didn't count. That's a shame, but that's the way it was in the first century. And yet, who was it who were the first witnesses to the tour of the tomb? Two women. Today, it would be like the Weather Channel interviewing people after a tornado and Bubba from the, from the trailer courts comes out and says, It came out of nowhere. And it carried up the whole city. And everybody's like, oh boy, okay, that's... Or maybe Las Vegas. There's a speaker, right? There's a speaker at Las Vegas. I was kidnapped by aliens. Let me tell you about my experience. Are you all going to clamor for that one? That's kind of the value they put on a woman's testimony. And yet, the link between the event and the ability for the other witnesses to preach it to women. How obscure is that? It tells you the value God places on women, even above our world. 
Even believers themselves were reluctant to believe it. That's the crazy thing. And the story, it's very honest. How many of the, ga- the, the disciples gathered around that, that, that tomb on, on Sunday morning to, to watch the resurrection? None of them did. How many did he tell that he was going to do this, that it was going to happen? Every single one of them. They just didn't believe it. It's a character flaw in the disciples, and yet the Bible is honest and open and candid to share that with us. And even the Jews and the Romans believed more fully than believers did. And finally, there were alternate theories that were zooming around already at a very early time. They did not have a section of time where they could preach that message unchallenged because already there were people saying they stole the body. If this would have happened today, we wouldn't have hidden it. Just like the virgin birth, which was quietly done in an obscure village, the resurrection took place in a quiet place, and no one hardly witnessed it at all. No one witnessed it at all. They saw the resurrected Lord, but we never saw the resurrection. God doesn't overwhelm us with evidence. Gives us evidence, but doesn't overwhelm us with it. From Matthew, we're not even sure why these two women made this journey. We all think to anoint the body, but that's not what Matthew says. And Matthew even says he was anointed already by the woman with an alabaster flask, right? So these women, I can vision, they just went to grieve. I don't know if you're one of those people who who goes to the graveyard to grieve or not. I would be one. I like going to the graveyard and remembering. I know Debbie Mayville was sharing with me this week. She's been there several times because that's the way she's grieving Steve's loss. That's an easy one. I understand that, and that makes total sense to me. Some, some people find that strange, but I see these women going back because there's something about being there where that was, where, they, where he was laid to rest that helped them to grieve. And maybe, maybe they even had in the back of their mind that resurrection really was possible. But anyway, on, on, early on that Sunday morning, here they go, and apparently, I don't know timing in literature very well. I can't tell if they felt this earthquake or not, but It sounds like as the women were coming up to the grave, up to the tomb, the earthquake happens. An earthquake is when God acts and the world moves. And you have this angel come down from heaven. And this angel rolls this huge stone away that would take more than one person ever to think about rolling it away, but rolls this stone away and then gives a certain look to the guards who were guarding the tomb that terrified them so much they were petrified like stone is the word. They are terrified and frozen in fear. And so they're over there, total non-entities to this anymore because they're just like stone still. And he rolls it away. And I want you to see it because he then sits on the stone. Now that's a comical picture You guys placed guards so that this couldn't happen. You guys put a stone here so that this couldn't happen. And I took care of both of them like this, and I'm sitting on this rock looking at you picking my teeth. That's what he's doing. I'll tell you what this feels like, and those of you who are men who have that competitive spirit, you'll know what I'm talking about. I've always wondered, we were at Olive Garden a couple Sundays ago. I come in a different vehicle because I come for early service and, the, and Melissa and Abby come later. And so we drove both of them to Olive Garden. And, I, and we've said, you know what, I've always wondered. If we're going to go back home from here, is it shorter to go Nettleton, Kathleen, and back behind the house? Or just hit Red Wolf and go? We're in two vehicles. We can test this theory. 
who's going to make it back first? Does anybody do this in your marriage at all? Who's going to make it back first? Let's just see. Now, obey all the traffic laws. We don't speed. Um, let's do this fairly because we really want to know. And so she takes off. She goes down Nettleton. I go down Red Wolf. And I can tell as I pull in the driveway, she's nowhere near it. She's not there yet. And I'm loving this because I just whipped her. I just proved manhood, right? I go in there. I lift up the, 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 the garage door. I pull the car in, lower that. And I think, what can I do? So I take the shirt off and put T-shirt on. And I bring a little recliner out to her bay. You know, it's empty because her car's not in there yet. And so I'm, I, sit, I get a glass of iced tea and I sit there. And I'm drinking that tea. So she, she gets to the door. She raises the garage door. And there I am sitting there relaxing already because I've been. 10 minutes already that didn't really happen that way but it's happened in my mind a lot I did beat her back there and it it was like it's like I was showing I was showing look look I won and I see that being the tone of this angel sitting on this rock that was supposed to make the stealing of the body impossible and he was able to completely eliminate that thing and show that resurrection is what happened that angel's a stud. Now listen, if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna think about angels, don't think about you know when you have a funeral and you give them this ceramic cherub, this sweet little baby angel sitting there like it's gonna sit on the edge of an end table. If that's your picture of an angel, you need to shatter that because that's not what angels look like. This angel looked like Wiley Stanley, or or maybe like. Uh, Dwayne Johnson. It did not look like Roma Downey, promise you. Didn't look like Clarence off It's a Wonderful Life. Didn't look anything like this thing was this thing was strong, could roll back a stone with a pinky and freeze people in fear and also was going to freeze the women in fear, but instead he jumped down off that stone, I guess, and said, "No, no, no, no don't fear you ladies." He didn't want the ladies to fear. It petrified soldiers but comforted women. I love that image. Somehow an angel's able to do both. And he, and he, and by the way, angel means messenger. It means I've got a messenger. They didn't just show up to do amazing deeds. They, they showed up with a message from God for humanity. And so I, this, this, this angel has a message. And the message is a tour. Takes the women in. Leads them into this tomb. Look around, ladies. You see that linen? It's empty. There's no body in it. You go, you go and see this ledge where the body was. There's some blood stains from leaking all the way through the linen and getting on the rock. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice there's nothing in this tomb. It's completely empty. And they get an angelic tour of this tomb so that they know for sure. And then he says, now listen to me, you know Jesus is not here. He's risen just like he said. Now I want you to go and I want you to tell the disciples that they're going to go into Galilee and Jesus will see them. What a great message. It's the greatest message humanity's ever heard because that same thing is going to happen to you. That same experience is going to happen to you. We go to graveyards and we lower people into the graves and we feel that tremendous separation and the pain of grief. Listen, this is not the end. This right here is going to happen to us. Jesus is called the first fruits. He's the first one to experience this never to die again. But one of these days, we're going to look back at that and say, that's just the first one. There's millions who've done that. We all will. 
And that's the greatest hope of the Christian faith. And that's the greatest hope of humanity, right? So this scene is like number one in my world right here. When I go to heaven one of these days, there's all these videos that I'm going to ask God to show me. Show me number one. Show me number Here's number one. Creation's right up there too. Red Sea's right up there too. But this scene that nobody even saw, that no human witnessed, inside that, that tomb, God comes down. And if you remember how God created Adam, you know, he said, let there be light and let there be this. And he spoke things into existence. God could speak it from a distance. He didn't even have to get involved. He just said that and it happened. But when it came to Adam, he came down. He rolled up his sleeves and it says... He took the dirt and formed the man. He didn't speak him. He formed him. He got up close and personal and he shaped him. And then this body came to be and it laid there lifeless like a mannequin. And then it says God breathed into him the breath of life. And I see God getting right up into his face and breathing himself into And this body came alive and that's how we came to be right that's how humanity came to be and I see in resurrection Jesus was flat dead you believe that right there was only two members of the trinity for a very brief time in history because one of them was dead powerless Jesus did not rise from the dead he was raised he was totally at the mercy of the Father. And so the Father comes into that grave, that's, that, that grave that's, been, that's got this rock in front of it, and he recreates Jesus' body. He creates it perfectly, and he breathes into it again the breath of life, like an Adam part two, which is what Romans has a lot to do with. An Adam part two, and he comes back to life. I would love to see that moment. And that's video number one. Video number one. That's what happens. But what difference does it make? This passage also says that. I think this moment is even made better. Those of you who are Harry Potter people, I think a lot of the Harry Potter stuff comes from the great story of Scripture when the bad guy kills people, but it rebounded, right? You remember the rebounding, and that's where he gets the mark. I think when God raised Jesus, there was so much power in doing so that he also raised other righteous people. Chapter 27 talks about on Friday when the earthquake came, the graves were opened. It then says, still in chapter 27, though it didn't happen until chapter 28, on that Sunday morning, those righteous people in those tombs were seen walking around Jerusalem. Jesus wasn't the only one who was raised from the dead that morning. But he's the only one who was raised with finality never to die again. Because he's the first, and right now he's the only to experience that kind of resurrection. That's another witness to the fact that something incredible happened that Sunday morning. Jerusalem on that Sunday morning must have been quite an interesting place to be. But I want us to see really in this passage what it says about this resurrection. First of all, I want you to notice twice it said, do not be afraid. Because of resurrection, we need never fear. The angel says to the women, do not be afraid. And then Jesus says to the women, do not be afraid. What would they be afraid of? 
What is the fear? And it does say they walked away with a mixture. Do you realize that joy and sorrow can exist in the same heart at the same time? You know this, right? We're not all one thing. That's why Christians at a graveside, we can have sorrow, but it's not an unmixed thing. It's not pure grief, Paul says. It's not utter grief. It's grief mixed with anticipation, mixed with joy, mixed with belief. It all goes together in the human heart. You can feel both at the same time. But in this case, what were they fearing? The power of God? It's scary to look at an angel. It's scary to see that power that's demonstrated that day. It's scary to live with the confusion. They don't know what this means yet. They're processing in their brains. What's the, I'm just a little confused. I don't really know. I don't really know what I'm seeing. I get that. Your ignorance, your confusion, your overwhelmingness, your grief, your sorrow, all of that is based on fear. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, we need not fear this ultimately ever again. That's what he said. We'll still feel it. There are moments of great confusion in life. You're not sure how things work. And even in your faith, as you're walking and believing God, I don't know anybody in here who won't say this. As much as I believe in God, I still have moments of doubt and confusion. That's okay. But what overwhelms that? There's a lot of things I can't explain, and there's a lot of things I don't understand about what God does and what he said, how the plan works, how do you fit all the, how the human situation all fits in there, and how, what, what all fit. But here's the thing. Resurrection tells me whatever I'm confused about, I can trust God with. We gather around the table today. We gather around the table because we're celebrating what we know. He died, from the, he died and he was raised from the dead. We know that. We also gather around the table and bring all our doubts with us. And we say, whatever the doubt and confusion still exists in my world, I'm going to follow you with them. And I'm going to trust the resurrection means I'm going to overwhelm my doubt with what I do know. God is more than able to be truthful and to be faithful. I don't know. That's the song we sing, right? There's all these things I don't know, but I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. We never need to be fear. Uh, uh, fear Again, secondly, we know what Jesus said was true. Notice this, and I want you to get the right tone in verse 6, verse 5 and 6, when Jesus, the angel says to the women, he's risen, he's not here, he's risen, just as he said. Now that's a nice clinical way of saying a phrase that we often say sarcastically. You know what that phrase is? I told you so. Usually we say it because we're like, I'm right, you're wrong. I told you so. If you just listen to me, the angel says, He's risen just like He told you He would. Just like He told you. Just like God told you in Isaiah 53. 
Just like Jesus told you in chapter 16 and chapter 17 and chapter 20, three times he told them what was going to happen. These were just in the... God told them from centuries before. Jesus told them in the weeks prior what Jesus said true. And what he's saying is the resurrection means God keeps his every single word to humanity. And there's, there's been centuries where these have been spoken. And people have been confused by them, right? You remember when the transfiguration happened, James, Peter, Peter, James, and John went with him up in the high mountain. This transfiguration happened. As they were coming down the mountain, Matthew records, Jesus looks at them and says, Don't tell anyone what you saw until, until when? Anybody remember? Don't tell anybody what you saw until I've been raised from the dead. And they were like, what's he talking about? Well, until you know, maybe you shouldn't say anything. The resurrection makes the transfiguration make sense. It was confusing. It was uncertain. We don't know what happened up there. Well, you know what? The, 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 the prophets, 1 Peter chapter 1, when they were writing their forecasts about Jesus, they were perplexed. They had no idea what they were writing. Do you know what Isaiah thought when he was writing Isaiah 53? He had no clue. He had no idea. He just wrote because God inspired him, and it was told to him that he was not serving himself, but he was serving a later generation. Things do not make sense without the cipher of resurrection. It is the Rosetta Stone of Scripture. You know what Rosetta Stone is? Anybody remember what it is? They're trying to figure out what Egyptian hieroglyphics, how to read it. They found the Rosetta Stone. It had three languages on it. And by using the Rosetta Stone, they were able to interpret and understand what hieroglyphics means. You know what the resurrection is? It is the Rosetta Stone of Scripture. We don't know what Isaiah was writing about. Oh, yes, we do. The resurrection is the cipher. It is what makes sense of everything else. If we were Old Testament believers, we'd constantly preach this message that we don't really know what it means. It hasn't been fulfilled yet. What we're talking about hasn't come to be yet. It's a confusing thing. We are New Testament believers living on this side of the resurrection, and therefore we can look at all of Scripture and understand exactly what it means because resurrection makes it so. Everything Jesus said and the rest of Scripture says is true by resurrection. John the Baptist as we move on to the next one, there's something to tell. Verse 7 and verse 11, go and tell his disciples. Go and tell. We've got something to tell because of the resurrection. You remember John the Baptist when Jesus said he was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, but the least in the kingdom of God is better than him? It's because John the Baptist never saw the gospel in completion. He saw it forecast. He saw it inaugurated. A lot of the teaching of Jesus was in preparation for the resurrection, but it doesn't get its full validity until resurrection happens. Then it's stamped. It's like saying to somebody, come to supper when supper's not ready yet. That would be a waste of time. Why gather around when it's not ready yet? John was the forerunner. As a person who goes to Ace Hardware at Hilltop every once in a while, I get coupons all the time. They get this little booklet and it has three coupons in it. And I'm a real frugal person. I like using coupons like that. So open it up and the first coupon says, you can use it right now for the next week, 5% off. Whatever you buy there. Second one, 10% off. That's a better deal. But the thing is, it's not valid for another week. 
Okay, you got that, you, got, you know it's happening, but it's not here yet. Until this week happens, it's not valid. And then the next one's 20% off. I really like 20% off, but it's not for two weeks yet. You got to wait till that two, week peri- that two weeks for that one week period for the 20% to work. It was useless right now. It's useless a week from now, but two weeks from now, it will be useful. Resurrection is what made the entire word of God valid, complete, and true, and an effect, and true for you. You take resurrection out of it, the words of that book are empty and meaningless. Your entire faith, meaningless. The resurrection is the stamp of approval that says this is now valid and it will be valid till the Lord comes. But here's the other thing about a coupon. If you go and you buy stuff but you don't have the coupon, you don't get the 20% off. You've got to use it. The resurrection to be made useful to you and valid to you, you must join Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then if you don't, it becomes just a historical event that holds up all of history, but it does you no good. You've got to use it. We've got something to tell. We now have a reason to go preach. There's no confusion why at the end of this chapter there's the great, com- great commission. Go tell people. There's nothing to tell if there wasn't resurrection. But now that resurrection has happened, that's the message preached to the world. Do you want to know what people need to hear? When you say, what do I need to talk to people about Jesus about? His resurrection. That's what gives everything validity. Because of the resurrection, we are the full-fledged family of God. He says, go tell his brothers. Go tell his brothers to go meet him in Galilee. He uses the word brothers about the disciples. And that's the same thing for us. Without the resurrection, we wouldn't be related to one another. But because of the resurrection, everything about the gospel, which is forgiveness, the Holy Spirit, community. It is the moment, I don't know if you've seen this on Facebook, every once in a while you'll see people do this when they're adopting children. They've got to go through weeks and weeks and months of all the research of the home study and all these other things. There comes a time finally when you stand before a judge Everything's been completed, and the judge slams the gavel and says, this child's now yours. It's the moment they officially, unchallenged, become yours. The resurrection was the moment when we all had family connection to one another. The resurrection was the moment we get to worship the Lord. The ladies never worshiped until they saw Jesus after resurrection. And there's not a lot of worship of Jesus in the Gospels either. There's a certain amount of knowledge you have to have. You have to experience the grief of Good Friday. You have to experience the sorrow of knowing that he had to die for your sin. You have to experience the reality and the joy of the resurrection before worship is really possible. Christian worship was made valid because of the resurrection. And because of the resurrection, we'll see the Lord. The angel and Jesus both said, go and they will see the Lord. One of these days with our own eyes we're going to see the one that we've worshiped all our lives the one we gather around the table to remember and to reflect on and to express gratitude we're going to see him face to face and we're going to become like him that day is going to happen because of resurrection that's a full slate of what we get and what we believe and a fullness that we experience because the tomb was empty it was empty so we can be made full. If you are a believer this morning, if you are a Christian who's believed with all your heart Jesus is the Son of God, 
you've worshiped him today and your heart is full and your goal is to leave out of here and live your life out of that fullness if you've never committed your life and your mind in submission to the Lord you've heard today the reason why you should all hope all joy is empty until it's fully funded by belief in the resurrection and imitation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in the waters of baptism. God chose just the right time in the fullness of time to reveal this historical moment that saves us all. And he also said there is a perfect time for you to join Jesus in this death, burial, and resurrection. You may know what time that is. Today. Now is the time of salvation. Today is the day to be saved. And he's saying to us, you only have this moment. If there's anyone here who has not entrusted yourself to the resurrection and joined Jesus in his through your own in the waters of baptism, I can't think of a better moment, a perfect time for you to do so than today, right now, as the rest of us who have and can testify and attest to the incredible blessing of knowing that and believing that will rise to watch and witness. We don't mind being your witnesses at all. Why wait? Today's the perfect time for you to rise, come, and be immersed in the waters of baptism and rise with Jesus. We'd love to witness it as we stand and as we sing together. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me, all my fears and failures fill my life again I give my life to follow everything I believe in now I surrender Savior he can move the mountains my God is mighty to save he is mighty to save forever author of salvation he rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave shine your light and let the whole world see we're singing for the glory of the risen king jesus shine your light and let the whole world see we're singing for the glory of the risen 